In this episode, we will be talking about Web3 connected to the real world. Traditional world, somebody creates value. You, know, you invest in the company, you invest in, in uh, a stock, you invest in an asset, and that company or asset generates money. This is Jim. The relevant piece for Web3 is that you can actually tie the actual revenue generation or the data that's coming from whatever it is that's happening to a smart contract, which then can distribute automatically or through rules. Jim is an entrepreneur and investor dedicated to creating shared prosperity. He is the founder and CEO of Untapped Global, a global investment company that offers profitable data-driven opportunities for investors to finance high-growth businesses in emerging markets. Jim is in the industry for a long time, and with Untapped Global, he's making change happen. As of August 2022, Smart Asset Financing has financed 9,000 productive assets, deployed across 30 African countries with a default rate of less than 1%. In addition to this, Jim founded a social enterprise that provides clean water to over 200,000 people in underserved regions. So if you want to learn from him, if you want to learn about asset financing, if you want to learn about Web3 connected to the real world assets, this is going to be the episode for you. And I believe you don't want to miss it. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H, issuesing.com. You can go there, learn more about me. If you want to learn about the evolution of this podcast, basically written content, not only audio, you can go to startingtoknow.com, startingtoknow.com, and learn about many business-related topics. In-depth information, nothing superficial. For now, we have covered a lot about podcasting. So if you want to get into podcasting, you will find a ton of content on starting to know that's going to make you take the next leap and how you can grow successfully. It's free of cost information. You don't have to pay anything. It's just in-depth information and I wanted to get it out there so other people can also benefit. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Jim to the show. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. And let's start with the Untapped Global. What is that? What do you do at Untapped Global? Right. So Untapped Global, we invest in emerging markets, but we invest through a very unique investment model where we focus on data coming from real-world assets that generate revenue. And what we do is take future reoccurring revenue from those assets as security for financing those productive assets. By productive assets, I mean assets that generate money. Mm-hmm. So at a very basic sense, that's what we do. And we turn uh, the digital revenue streams and the data streams coming from these assets into a database through which you can see what's happening with small and medium-sized enterprises and financing in emerging markets. So we're going to dig deeper a little bit into the technical part. But before we go there, what is Web3 according to you? Let's start from there. Wow, good question. Well, that's uh, Web3 is different to so many people. The relevant part to us on Web3 is the fact that there is much more accountability between the generation of value and investors investing in to share a portion of that value that's created. Mm-hmm. So in a traditional world, somebody creates value. You, know, you invest in the company, you invest in, in uh, a stock, you invest in an asset, 
and that company or asset generates money. And then you have to trust whoever's managing it to tell you, oh, yes, we made this much money and therefore we owe you this. Hmm. The relevant piece for Web3 is that you can actually tie the actual revenue generation or the data that's coming from whatever it is that's happening to a smart contract, which then can distribute automatically or through rules uh, the profits that are generated by whatever it is you're investing in. So what's really interesting about that is you can actually create whatever it's, whether it's uh, music rights or uh, apartment rents or whatever it is that you're investing in and creating value with, you can share that in a rules-based fashion with investors. And so that makes the whole process of investing and sharing profits more scalable because it's all digital and all, you know, electronically trust-based. Mm-hmm. So that's the relevant part for us because what we've essentially done is we've created this business model or investment model where we literally capture digital revenue streams and we have that last mile data into those uh, assets that we finance and whatever revenue is generated from them also comes through digitally. And so by capturing both the data and the digital revenue streams, we can actually deliver that to Web3 investors in a um, digital automated, very transparent and accountable way. You just gave an example of rent, collecting your rent. So, but in terms of assets, can you share some examples of real world assets connected to Web3? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I want to caveat first that right now we are doing everything in a very conventional Web1, Web2 context, right? Mm-hmm. This does not have to be a Web3 business model. In fact, whether we do Web3 or not is not even a necessity for us. Mm-hmm. We think the key piece is about transparency and accountability, which doesn't have to be a Web3 model. So what we do, and I'll give you a few examples from what we do, and then I'll give you some example on how it could potentially tie to Web3. Mm-hmm. So we'll finance things such as motorcycles, electric motorcycles, pay-as-you-go water systems, pay-as-you-go uh, POS systems, And the idea is that whatever the assets generate in terms of revenue, we're able to capture that. So let's take the example of a a page motorcycle or motorcycle leasing. Mm -hmm. Everything is captured in terms of the usage of the motorcycle, the payments made against the motorcycle, et cetera, through an app. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes over a ride hailing app. So it's a motorcycle taxi driver in Uganda and they're, using the motorcycle to make money by being a motorcycle, but they're using an app for finding their customers, just like Uber does. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we finance that motorcycle, even though that driver otherwise would not be able to get a motorcycle. But we, in in order to pay us back, we could take a percentage of the, um, the, the rides that that motorcycle driver does. So that way we're really doing two things. We are using IoT and digital payments data to better monitor what's happening with the asset. But two, we're making them paying us back or us collecting, however you want to think about it, easier. Mm-hmm. So what we're, we're in effect doing is reducing default risk and we're reducing the transaction cost or the administrative cost of servicing that loan. And so by doing that, we make financing the motorcycle taxi driver more scalable and 
more safe, if you will, more secure than traditional finance. Because in a traditional finance world, you're like, okay, all right, uh, well, who are you? And we have to make sure that if we if we lend you a thousand dollars, that you have one thousand five hundred dollars to pay us back, and we sign all this legal documents and whatnot to make sure that if you run away, we can go after you for one thousand five hundred. By using digital payments and data and an asset financing model that takes the repayment straight off the top, we're eliminating a lot of that kind of risk. Mm-hmm. And also, like at the same time, I think so. Like you, you're collecting the, that important information as well, so the person need not report it afterwards. Like this is what happened. This was my exactly. revenue. So you're collecting real time. Exactly, and that real time data generation and capture is really the key to what we do. And we think this is a new world that will really come into maturity in the next five, ten years. Of data-driven finance, and when I mean data-driven finance, it isn't just around smart asset financing. What we do, but anything that uses data as the primary driver for managing and understanding risk,、mm-hmm. versus the old way of doing things. We we see this a lot already in the U.S. You know, you see a lot of、uh, companies giving instant loans via POS systems. You know, they can see that you've been generating. You know, ten thousand dollars a month for your business for every every month in the last year. It's pretty easy to give you an instant loan of two thousand dollars because they know that you can easily cover that with your revenues.、Mm-hmm. So that kind of data driven finance is obviously possible in the U.S. and in other developed markets. But I would argue that because the finance sector here is relatively efficient and the market is relatively saturated. You don't have that many opportunities to finance SMEs that are, haven't already been captured one way or another. I mean, a lot of people、mm. will take issue with that, but I would say that hey, the market's there. But if you go to emerging markets, Kenya, Uganda, South Africa, Nigeria, Indonesia,、mm. Brazil, there is a much bigger gap between who is getting financing and who deserves to be financed. And that's really the gap that we think we can fill with this data-driven financing model.、Mm-hmm. And and if can I say that、um, it's more so off like on a microfinancing level, they don't need like much financing in terms of millions of dollars. It's going to be like small thousand dollar, two thousand, ten, twenty, something like that, right? Exactly, but that's actually the problem, right? Because、uh, well, so a lot of people have heard of microfinance before, right?、Mm-hmm. So microfinance. People get a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars, and I won't go into the details of how it works because it's、mm-hmm. not all the same. But a lot of the time, that doesn't have that much underwriting behind.、Mm-hmm. But when they get into larger tickets, one thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand,、mm-hmm. those microfinance institutions turn into normal banks, and they go through the same underwriting process. Hey, how much collateral do you have? Show me your paperwork. Let's send somebody, send somebody to do you know loads of due diligence, and you just spent you know, five man days worth of due diligence time, four or five thousand dollar loan. Does that make sense?、Mm. Probably doesn't. And so the laws of economics, or the laws of physics, as I say,、uh, basically create this massive hole among SMEs. Most of them are too big to do with microfinance, too small to finance, too, too worthy of finance in a traditional underwriting model. I joke. You know, it's, in emerging markets, it's pretty easy to borrow five hundred dollars and buy a cow. 
or borrow 10 million and build a power plant. But anything in between, you're out of luck. Mm. And that's really the hole that we're trying to fill. And so you're absolutely right. It is microfinance, but micro can mean many things. And for a $5,000 borrower or somebody or a small business that needs a $5,000 machine to double their business volume, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to get a loan. Mm. So that's the that's the the hole that we fill with smart asset financing. This is a noble thing that you're doing here. Thank you. I've seen people struggling as well. I'm from India originally, so I've seen people struggling uh, yeah. in rural areas as well. Um, that might not be your target market. I'm just saying like I've seen people struggling for smaller things. That is not much for people living in the city. Like if they want to buy inventory for the next round, they don't have the money. Like they don't have 5,000 bucks, uh, something like that, 2,000. So. So and you're exactly right. And I think that's where the big, big opportunity is, right? What's happening in the U.S.? The Fed raises the interest rate by a few points. Uh, credit is constricted a little bit. And we go, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? There's a recession. We're all going to lose our jobs. That's just a tiny bit of a redact- re- uh, reduction in credit available. Mm. Imagine the possibilities with the inverse. Imagine what would happen if some of the shopkeepers that you're talking about in India mm. can actually get a tiny bit of finance. Hmm. Imagine how much value could be unlocked. And that's essentially what we're talking about with the market opportunity. If you can actually create a way to provide these type of businesses a bit of credit so they can expand their businesses for that merchant in rural India to buy a little bit more inventory, yeah. a little bit more in terms of money so that they can buy a machine. Yeah. That is a huge, huge benefit to the yeah. economy. It creates wealth. And as you were saying, it's noble. I mean, I, I, I don't want to overplay it, but that's really the, the raison d'etre of what we do. You know, we're really trying to create a whole new of underwriting so we can unlock all this economic opportunity so that we can ultimately create a fair world. You know, what's yeah. the problem in this world today? The financial system is stacked, stacked against people who, don't already own all the assets. If you already have money, it's really easy to get money, yep. to borrow it, to make more of it. But if you don't have it, then it's really hard to get that opportunity. And you know, you could say this is true in the US, mm. but the contrast is much starker in emerging markets. Mm. And I think that's where the opportunity lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I truly agree there. Jim, what can be other use cases of Web3, like connected to the real world? What can be other thing, things that can yeah. be connected? So let me, let me just kind of make the bridge between what we're doing today and what's possible or potentially possible with Web3. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because when we think about Web3, we think about crypto, we think about Bitcoin, Ethereum, we think about FTX, we think about Luna. Hmm. Um, and if we really think about it and the images of, billionaires or millionaires with their yachts uh, that are almost accidental, not almost, they are accidental millionaires. You think about speculation and that so much of the value that was created with crypto as being a house of cards, where's the value underneath these uh, cryptocurrencies? It's just speculative trading, isn't it? Mm. Well, what if you are actually able to connect some of those cryptocurrencies to real-world assets, even better, connected to the revenue streams 
of real world assets like the motorcycle, like the water treatment system, like the POS system, et cetera, et cetera. If you do that, then all of a sudden a token or a value or a smart contract is no longer based on a house of cards. It's actually built on top of real economic value being generated. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you don't have to do this with Web3. You don't have to do this with token. You could do it with a you know, good old traditional conventional uh, web investment platform or even not even a web investment platform. You can even do it with a traditional brokerage or kind of investor uh, documentation platform. But I think there's an opportunity to connect two, two revolutions, two big trends that are happening. On one side, we've already talked about the digital transformation that's happening in all economies, especially in emerging economies, mm-hmm. and the opportunity that creates to reinvent financing and reinvent or re, rejigger who gets capital to grow their businesses. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there's an opportunity to change, all right, who gets to invest? Taking a little bit of a step back, I see a direct clear line between investing with your stockbroker on a golf course when you're a white male in the 1950s mm-hmm. to Charles Schwab mm-hmm. to Robin Hood to Web3. Mm-hmm. It's this ever-increasing broadening of who gets to invest, mostly because of technology, right? Charles Schwab is able to do it because you create this online platform and discount brokerages are in, are in. You have Robinhood and you can create this whole platform and business model that has zero cost brokerage fees. And what's Web3? Well, Web3, you can say, yes, it was a whole mangling of the regulatory framework, but it also showed how much thirst and hunger there is among the general public to invest in things that are better than getting two and a half percent with your bank. Mm-hmm. That's what Web3 the last five years in the speculative bubble, that's what it, it showed me. Not that, you know, crypto is bad. We always know there's always bad, bad actors out there. It was Wild West. It was clear. Mm-hmm. But what is absolutely true and what was shown is that people want to invest and make money. Mm-hmm. But most people can't. So what we're, if we're able to continue that trend of where things are going and create a digital investment platform, that is fully compliant, fully regulated, but allows an individual investor, whether they be accredited or not, to invest in an African entrepreneur or in a portfolio or an ETF, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. of revenue generating, cash flow generating assets in emerging markets and get a slice of that pie. You're doing two things. You are helping, I, and I, I, I say this with a straight face, I'm the the mm. most jaded person in the world, but I say this with a straight face, you're really helping to change the world because you're helping distribute wealth and income and value creation by giving people opportunity. And at the same time, you're making money for yourself. The high mm. single digit, double digit returns in the short term, not six years or seven years with equity, but in six months, in 12 months, in 18 months. Mm-hmm. So that is what's possible with the new technologies and the revolution that's happening with Web3. Yeah. And Jim, what do you think? Like, I'm thinking here, what kind of businesses can thrive on Web3 and what type of businesses will fail? What do you think? <laughs> wow, gosh, that's a very broad question. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I think 
what what the last few years or the last few months or the last few weeks even have shown us is that it's really easy to get excited about making money. Mm-hmm. But you have to make sure there's really val- real value behind it. Hype can get you somewhere, but is it really sustainable? And if you if you're you know interested in playing this game of hey let's get in let's get out before everyone figures out it's a it's a scam, well okay go for it. You you go ahead and time that market. But if you actually want to invest in real value, then you have to ask what value is being created with my investment. Mm-hmm. Where is it going? And so I think unlike or not unlike like every investment model and every investment um, marketplace, you have to understand what the fundamental drivers of value are. And if you can connect Web3 to those fundamental drivers of value, it's great. Now, maybe it's a better way to answer it because I answered it very generally. What can Web3 do that Web2 cannot do? I think Web3 can invest in things that have a much more efficient or much more direct connection to revenue generation, like what we're doing, right? Hey, we can see in real time um, who's who's paying for uh, you know the assets that we finance and how much each asset is generating. So therefore, you can get a direct you can get a cut, and it's automated, mm-hmm. right? Um, somebody uses that machine; they put they put in a hundred dollars worth of credit. And automatically through the smart contract, the Web3 token holder gets 20% of it or whatever percentage is the is the negotiated percentage. That makes sense. It's automated. Mm-hmm. And you can see what's going on. Now, that's a beautiful model. But it could also be, hey, what's happening with real estate? Mm-hmm. You know, you can start owning fractional ownership of thousands of apartment buildings. Yeah. And you can yeah. see people paying their rent. Now, I would argue doing what we're doing in emerging markets get you a much higher yield. Why? Quite frankly, we don't need to fix the real estate investment problem. There's a lot of people who are investing in real estate and it's not, not a, uh, not a, um, a market that's not, you know, completely untapped, right? Mm. Let's go for the markets that don't have billions of dollars already flowing into it mm-hmm. and figure out how we can use technology to create these smart contracts and create these digital revenue streams so you can make investing in those things safer, more scalable, and more accountable and more accessible to your everyday investor. Mm-hmm. If companies want to like learn from what you're doing right now uh, with your business, how could or what could companies do to make Web3 more connected with the real world? What can be done? What can other companies learn from this? Well, you know, look, we're, we, we, we have an investment model and we have an investment platform, in fact, where anybody can go and uh, invest as little as $300 if you're mm-hmm. an accredited investor in a portfolio of African uh, companies. Um, so that's one place to start. And they can follow us on LinkedIn. We, we try to do and share as much knowledge as possible. I would also encourage people to come join us and visit us in Africa. We actually operate loads and loads of uh, trips for international investors who are curious about investing in Africa. We encourage them to join us in Cape Town or in, in Marrakesh and see the opportunity and the potential of the markets for yourselves. So that's what I really encourage investors to do. And in terms of 
know what's possible. I, I really hope that other companies copy us and start using these digital technologies and capture and digital revenue streams and all that data that's generated by these businesses as a different way of doing underwriting and managing risk than in the traditional way. Mm-hmm. And my prediction and my hope, I should say, and I hope to play a hand in this, is that in the next five to 10 years, we really see a revolution in data-driven, forward-looking financing, mm-hmm. data-driven underwriting that changes who gets money and how risk is managed so that more people have access to the capital and we see a more equitable and broader distribution of wealth creation. This is about the future, Jim. Uh, what do you think, what are the biggest challenges being faced by your industry right now? What is happening right now that's going to maybe accelerate what What are the plans for the next five years? Or maybe yeah, that's going to put a hindrance? I, I, I would say in the short, short term, I think it's really the macro environment. It's really the um, the instability in currencies that's being caused by the Fed strengthening the U.S. dollar. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if most Americans understand how big of a global impact the Fed's actions have. That's going to have some action. That's going to create more risk for us on the foreign exchange side of things. So that's, I think, a challenge. I think another challenge is around the revival of Web three. Right. Um, I think the core technology is legitimate and is still there and will always be used. But yeah. hey, there's going to be a pretty long crypto winter given what's happened in the yeah. last few weeks, last few months. And for us, that's okay because we're not a crypto company. We're not a Web3 company per se. We see the value of Web3 for doing what we do better, for securitizing our revenue flows better, more efficiently into more people. But do we have to have Web3? No. But I do think we're missing an opportunity if we don't rethink what the technology can do for us. Exactly. And let's learn our lessons and say, hey, come on. You know, look, early 1900s, late 1800s, there was the Wild West in banking and regulators came in and regulated and it turned into a really well-structured banking ecosystem. Well, look, we can probably get to the same place with cryptocurrencies and digital assets as well. But we need to think uh, carefully about how we do that. And we shouldn't shy away from it. We shouldn't be saying, oh my God, look what happened with FTX. We're just going to stay away from it forever. That would be, I think, the a big lost opportunity for the United States because other countries aren't doing that. They're gonna, They're moving ahead with this technology and they're going to figure out a way to do this right. I would say that people have tasted it, the power of it. So I think this is just a small bump there. The things are going to change. And I think, I, and I hope, new inventions will, will be there. No, new companies will born and things will go on on the positive trend one more time. I still want to like keep on going, Jim, uh, as time of, is of the essence here. I want, to, like, I want to know, like, is there any final thought that you would like to share with the person, the entrepreneur, the founder who's listening to this episode right now? Yeah, well, gosh, uh, founders, entrepreneurs, uh, I think you even mentioned investors in there. Look, I, I would say that in my experience, I've been investing in tech startups for the last 20 years and I've been in the tech world for the last 30. 
all the great companies have emerged out of downturns. Downturns like the one that we're about to go into that are certainly we're already in from a tech perspective. Mm. Whether that's 2001, two, three with Google, whether that's uh, 2010, 11, 12, after the, the last recession, that's when the best companies are started because that's when entrepreneurs suddenly have the right opportunity cost or lower opportunity cost, if you will, of going out and starting something risky. And mm-hmm. so as an investor, this is really the best time to be investing. Sounds, I think, for a lot of people weird, but I think the dirty hidden secret is downturns are obviously the best time to invest not only in public stock markets, but especially in private markets. And so if you're an entrepreneur, think about that and think about the new equation on the table for you. Yeah, you, you can continue working in a maybe toxic work environment that's made more toxic by the various layoffs, or you can go out and start a new company. I think it makes a lot of sense when things, times are great and there's bonuses and stock option bonuses left and right, maybe you should stick around in those companies. But when things are tough, go and start something new. That's I what I would say. Yeah, I love this advice. I would say the same. There's never a right time. So if if someone is struggling right now or not happy with what they are doing and you ever had dreamt of doing something, this is the right time. I, I also believe in the same thing. Where can we learn more about you and your business, Jim, if someone wants to get in touch? Yes, uh, they can find out a lot more by going to our website, untapped-global.com, untapped-global. And they can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at all one word, untapped global, at untapped global. So I, I welcome um, any questions or direct messages to me as well. Very happy to engage anyone in conversation about both Web3, emerging markets, and opportunities at hand. Thank you so much for coming Thank to the show. This really means a lot.